series. So I've called the message, I've titled the message this morning, The God Who Hears Us. The God Who Hears Us. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you for the, the privilege that we have to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ and to, to be a part of the family of God. I thank you for each man and woman, young and old, that are here that, uh, that you've called to be a part of this family. We thank you that we have the privilege of, of worshiping together, singing together, giving together, serving together. Thank you for the privilege of, of, uh, of being able to sit under the teaching of your word. Lord, we believe that you have most clearly spoken through your word, and it is your word that we submit to. And Lord, we submit our hearts and our minds uh, to your word, and we ask that you would speak to us through your word to make us more like Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the context, if you remember when I read the context earlier of Psalm 34, it's a psalm of David when he was fleeing for his life and he hid in a cave, the cave of, of Adullam. But a little bit more of the context of this psalm that David wrote is that, he, you know, as, as I said, he's running for, from, for his life, but who is he running from? He's running from King Saul. King Saul uh, tried to pin David to a wall with his spear, and David narrowly escapes and goes on the run. And when I taught through Psalm 51 a few weeks back, I talked about how David was on the run for his life for eight years. And this is somewhere within that eight-year journey, that this, this, what David is going to be, uh, this scene where he's singing in this cave is around the middle of that time, and, and he's running for his life. And, and so uh, uh, all David did uh, to get this crisis in his life was honor God. He honored the Lord, and he had to run from, for, for his life. Look at 1 Samuel 21. It says, And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Ashix, the king of Gath. So do you remember David killed Goliath? And Goliath was from Gath. So this is the scene. This is where David is at. He's the enemy of the Philistines. And so he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hand. He pretended to be insane. In, in, in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. So just pause there for a second. Can you picture this? He's, he's scratching down the wall, right, like he would be insane, and he's dribbling and foaming at the mouth and letting spit run down his beard. He's running for his life, and he flees to the city of Gath, which was the hometown of Goliath, the giant that he killed. So he's going to enemy territory. This is how desperate he is and running for his life, and he's acting like a madman. He pretends to be insane so that they won't harm him. Let his spittle run down his beard. Then, a, then, a, then, a, then Asius said to his servants, Behold, you see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? Do you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So David flees. He gets out of Gath. And we see 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And so he, he flees from Saul, heads to Gath, acts like a bad man. The king says, get this guy out of here. He doesn't need to be here. I don't, I don't need any more madman in my kingdom or in my presence or at the city gate. And so David flees again. He ends up, as it says in 1 Samuel 22, in the cave of Adullam. His family hears. They gather to him, and later on we're going to see 400 other men gather with David. And so this is the backdrop. This is, this is where David turns the cave 
of Adullam into a, into a cathedral, the cave into a cathedral, a place of worship. And this is, this is where he pins and sings Psalm 34. And we're going to look at only the first 10 verses of this psalm, and we're going to talk about what our response should be when we find ourselves afflicted and hidden, when we find ourselves in situations and circumstances that, that are causing us, maybe we're not externally running from something, but internally we're in grief and turmoil and strife and bitterness and anger and, and hurt and pain. We're going to see what our response should be when we find ourselves like David. And really what we're going to see is really two admonitions we're going to bring out, two admonitions for us, and then we're going to see a promise. Two admonitions from the first 10 verses of Psalm 34 and a promise. So the first admonition for us from the psalmist David, when he's hiding in a cave, just acted like a bad man, lets spit run down his beard, he flees to the cave. Here's the first admonition we get from this psalm. The distressed and the bitter magnify the Lord together. The distressed and the bitter magnify the Lord together. Look back to the scene Here's a look back before we get to Psalm 34. Look back to the scene. This is where we see this, the distressed and the bitter coming together. For Samuel 22, and David departed there, escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and all his fathers heard it, they went down to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. So you get the picture? You can see the scene. I don't know what the cave looked like. It had to be a pretty big cave. 400, 500 plus people in this cave. David's the commander over them. He's just got done acting like a madman, and he begins to sing. He pins this song. Look at the first two verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Question for you. If we're honest, those are not the first words that are going to come out of our mouth when we are running for our life, hiding in a cave. What would come out of your mouth? That's my question. What would come out of your mouth? Probably like what would come out of my mouth. Oh, God, why? And we see some of the Oh, God, why psalms that David wrote. But in that moment, I'd probably be like, Oh, God, why? Why am I here? What have I done to deserve this? And and we might have anger or regret or bitterness or distress, and we might not be singing psalms of praise. But what does David say? He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And I think we can't forget the moment that David is in when he writes this. Don't forget the scene. I will bless the Lord at all times. I, I, I don't think it's an, an accident. He, he, he starts right there because the time that he is in is not a good time. The time that he is in is a, is, a, is a time of distress. The time that he is in is a time of fear. The time that he is in is not a good time. But he says his opening line that flows out from his heart is, I will bless the Lord at all times. At all times. At all times, the good times, the bad times, the mediocre times. Times of loss, times of sickness, times of confusion. What, 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 what does it mean that I will bless the Lord? Uh, you know, we think of God blessing us, don't we? We think, God, pray that you would bless my family, bless this church, bless us. We think of God's blessing. We sung about God's blessing in that song. It's called the blessing. 
But how can we bless a God who has everything that he ever needs? He needs nothing. He lacks nothing. How do you bless God? Well, this word blessed is the idea of praise. What David is saying here is that I will praise God all the time. I will praise God at all times. Though I'm running for my life and a spear whizzed past my ear from a, from, from a maniac king who has lost his mind, who's, who's after my neck, I will praise the Lord at all times. The distressed and the bitter magnify the Lord at all times. They magnify the Lord together. I love what Pastor Larry McCarthy from Moody Church in Chicago says about this. He kind of asks this question. He says, what problem enters your life that causes you to put your praise on pause? Poverty? People? Pressure? Prosperity? Maybe sometimes prosperity causes us to put our praise on pause. Prosperity, right? We're doing well. Everything is good. We're not like David. There's no spear flying by our head. We're good. We're prosperous. Sometimes all those reasons, good things and bad, bad things and good things, could cause us to stop praising God. But I love what he says here. He continues, praise should be continual, intentional, and anchored in humility. So David starts off with, he says, I will bless the Lord. I will praise the Lord at all times. What does he say next? He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. I will continually praise the Lord no matter what my circumstances are. And if I'm going to boast about anything, my soul, the depth of who I am, is going to boast in the Lord. What does it mean to boast? What does it mean to boast Sometimes we boast about accomplishments that we accomplish. Sometimes we boast about others. And, I, I, you know, I look at my kids and the things that they do. Maybe I boast about my kids to you, and I've told you how great I think they are, and you've told me how great you think your kids are, and we boast, we boast. And the word boast here, it literally means to shine, to brag on, to express confidence in, or, or I, I, I love this, to show off verbally. So to boast in the Lord means that we're showing off verbally about God. We're, we're showing off to others about God. My soul, David says, is going to boast, is going to show off verbally through my words about who our God is. And what can we boast about God? What can we show off verbally about God? I, I, I love showing off verbally about God. That's what I do. Every Sunday, I show off verbally about God. I boast about God. I boast about Christ. I boast about his attributes. This is what we can boast about God. His person, his work, his attributes, his covenants, his promise. I can boast about his promises. Why? Because he's never made a promise that he hasn't kept. And he's kept every promise that he's made. Amen? So, so David's not boasting. When he says, I'm going to boast in the Lord, he's clearly saying, I'm not going to boast in my skill or ability because my skill and ability, this is where it's gotten me. It's gotten me in the cave. I'm here in the cave. I'm running for my life. I don't have much to boast in, but I'm going to boast in the Lord. I'm going to boast in the, in the Lord, not in my skill, ability, or my intelligence. What's, what's, what's David saying here? He's saying, here's what I am going to sing. Here's what I am going to say. This is who I am going to praise, and this is who I am boasting in. As for me, this is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to sing. This is what I'm going to boast in. I'm boasting in the Lord. In spite of my circumstances, because of my circumstances, whatever is going on around me, David says, I will boast in the Lord. And then he pivots and he switches and he says, okay, guys, I don't want to be alone in this. 
Look what the next verse says. Will you join me? Psalm 34, 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Hey, guys, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. But hey, join me. Join me. Come on, guys. Can you picture the scene? I can imagine it. All their heads. Do you remember? Do you remember? There are all 400 of them and the family of David. They're distressed. They're bitter. That's what 1 Samuel 22 said about them. They probably were like, David, shut up. <laughs> you ever been around that Christian? They're always happy, always whistling, always talking about the goodness of God, and you're going through a hard time, and you're like, Shh! struggling. <laughs> I don't even hear about Jesus right now. David's that guy. He's like, hey, guys, magnify the Lord with me, with me, together. I think about the word magnify. How can you magnify God? Magnify, there are two types of magnification. There are two kinds of magnifying. One would be microscope magnifying, and the other, telescope magnifying. The one makes a small thing look bigger. That's the microscope magnification. It makes a small thing look bigger. So we know this is not the type of magnifying David's talking about. It's the telescope version. The other makes a big thing begin to look as big as it really is. This is what John Piper says about this. I, I love what he says. He says, when David says, I'll magnify God, he does not mean I will make a small God look bigger than he is. He means I will make a good God begin to look as big as he really is. I'm going to magnify God over my circumstances. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on the bigness of my God, and I need you to join me. Have you ever needed somebody to join you in magnifying God in your situation? Because we can be just like David in that cave, running for our lives. We feel like we're all alone, and we just need somebody, just somebody that will magnify the Lord with me. I think this is what David is saying to these men, magnify the Lord with me. But, but, but often you've heard the phrase, misery loves company. So maybe the scene could have looked like this. Everyone's sitting around in the cave, eating Oreos and watching YouTube TV, scrolling on Facebook and Instagram. What do you do when you're struggling? Sometimes we just mindlessly do things because we don't want to engage our mind to think about the problems that we're walking through. And David is that voice from the Lord in the middle of that cave. He says, I'm not staying there. I'm not sitting there. I'm logging off of the social media app. I'm turning off YouTube TV. I'm done. Guys, I will bless the Lord at all times, and I want you to magnify him with me. Amen? 400 men in a cave with varying situations and distress and bitterness. David says, look up. Exalt the Lord. Magnify the Lord. Quit looking at your circumstances. Magnify the Lord. Bless his name. Theologian Jim Boyce says this about David in this cave. He says, David may have acted like a fool, but he was not so foolish as to neglect the praise of him who was his only true wisdom. He may have been hiding in a dismal cave, but the psalm tells us that in his heart, he was hiding in the Lord. Amen? He was hiding in the Lord. So before we move on to the next admonition, who's, who's in this room this morning? Where are you? 
What, what, what cave are you in? What situation do you find yourself in? Where are you hiding? Are you distressed this morning? Are you afflicted? Are you bitter? Are you overwhelmed? Are you fearful? Uncertain about the future? You're in a marriage that you feel like there's no hope, hanging on by a thread? Who are you? Where are you? The question, the next question is this, what will be your declaration? You know, I, I want to pause here for a moment. I, when things pop into my mind, I have, to, I have to say them or they won't pop back in. I have to say that I sat in the airport in Atlanta, Georgia last week, crying like a baby, listening to Brother Tim LaFleur preach about our shepherd. Elijah Berg was sitting next to me, and I saw him look over at me curiously because I kept wiping tears and taking my glasses off. And you know what I felt during that message? I felt the care of our Lord as I listened to Brother Tim preach from Psalm 23, share God's faithfulness in him and Miss Chris's life. Would you thank him for that wonderful word last week? So what, 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 what will we do in our times of affliction? What will, what will we declare? I love Psalm 43, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Sometimes you get to talk to yourself. You ever talk to yourself? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So the first thing we see in the first three verses of this psalm David hiding in a cave with 400 distressed men, ragtag group. We see that the, the distress and the, bigner and, and the bitter magnify the Lord together. The distress and the bitter magnify the Lord together, and that's our call today. Secondly, here's the other admonition. The fearful and the poor seek the Lord continually. The fearful and the poor seek the Lord continually. Look back to the text, Psalm 34, picking up in verse 4. David now says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. What do you see here when you look at those verses, 4 through 7? There's lots of things you could probably pull out of here, and if you were studying to preach, you'd pull some things out, and we'd see another multifaceted view of the diamond of God's Word. Isn't that beautiful how we can do that? But one of the things that jumped out at me when we're thinking about these, these groups, this group of people that are distressed and hiding in a cave, I thought about how it says there, the David, Psalmist David says, I sought the Lord, those who look to him, this poor man cried, those who fear him, what, what, what I saw was forward pursuit language, seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord. The fearful and the poor seek the Lord. He says, I sought, I look, I cried, I fear the Lord, I'm pursuing the Lord. And we know David had every reason to quit. He had every reason to quit because he had simply sought to obey the Lord, to stand up for God's name. Do you remember what he did when he got word when he got to the battlefield and all the soldiers were hiding in intimidation because of Goliath from Gath. Look at 1 Samuel 17. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, this man that's out of covenant with God? 
that he should defy the armies of the living God. David, as I talked about a few weeks ago in Psalm 51, he was enraged that nobody was doing anything about this man who was out of covenant with God and was blaspheming the name of his God. And all David gets for being bold for his faith is a spear flung by his ear, and now he's hiding in a cave. He got a deranged and jealous king chasing him to destroy his life. But what do you hear? We first heard he's praising God, and he's calling others to join him in that praise. But now you see the language change. You, you could hear from David, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm going to praise you, God, but, but I, I'm, I don't know. Can, can I pursue you like I used to? I put myself out there for you, and I sought after you, and I pursued you. But it, cost, it almost cost me my life. But no, he says, I, I, I sought him. I looked to him. I cry out to him. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, delivered me from my fear. Sometimes we seek the Lord, and, and we don't get delivered from our circumstance, but the Lord may deliver us from the fear of the trials that we walk through. But David is saying, I'm going to pursue God. Look what it says. It says, I looked to the Lord, and his face shined upon me. He says, I'm seeking God. I'm looking to God. I, I, I love what it says there. It says that those who look to him are radiant. You know what that word radiant means? It means, it, it, it's this idea of, of a, way to, a way to describe it is the idea that, uh, of what a mother's face looks like when she welcomes her children home. Moms, you know what it's like. Your kids live out of state maybe. And you love your husband. You do. I know you do. And when he walks in the door after a long day's work, you're happy to see him. But when those babies come home, that face looks radiant because it's your babies. They're your kids, right? I love this idea. This is the idea here. The psalmist David is saying, I look to the Lord and his face shined upon me. Those who look to him are radiant. They have the glow of the blessing of the Lord and the face of the Lord upon them. And notice what he says there. He says, I cry to the Lord and he heard me. You see it? He's seeking God. He's not talking about retreating from God. He's talking about seeking God. And often in our circumstances, when we're walking through trials and difficulties, we definitely don't want to praise God. We want to eat the Oreos and stay on YouTube, TV, and Instagram. And we, we, we put our spiritual life in neutral. We stop seeking the Lord. Look, look where else we see this idea of seeking the Lord, Isaiah 55, 6, uh, the prophet says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call, of him, call on him while he is near. Seek the Lord. Psalm 27, verses 6 through 8 says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And that's what we see in the psalmist David. He's praising God, but he's seeking God. He's looking to God. I love what the apostle Paul says in Philippians 3. It says, not that I've already attained this or I'm perfect, but I press on. It's this forward momentum. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but, but one thing that I do, one thing that I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind, forgetting the trials and the burdens and the situations and the spears by the ears. 
forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I seek, I press on, I pursue toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. We praise God in the cave. We seek God in the cave. We pursue the Lord. You know, we pursue the things that we're passionate about, don't we? The things and the people that we love, we pursue. I'll, I'll never forget when I laid eyes on that beautiful woman on the front row right there for the first time. She really, really, uh, something amazing happened. My, my ability to speak was just gone all of a sudden. It took me six months to get the courage to even ask her if I could call her on the t- cell phone or the landline. But I, I, I didn't stop. I kept pursuing. I kept pursuing because I'd been captured by her. I'd been captured by her. She had my heart before I had her heart. She had my heart, and I had to get hers, and I worked hard at it, and I pursued. Why? Because I wanted her. I wanted to be with her. I wanted to marry her. I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her, and this is what we do when we are in love. And this is the language the psalmist David is saying here. I I sought the Lord. I cried out to the Lord. I, I looked to the Lord. And my face was radiant when, 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 I, when she looked, when she finally looked upon me. My face was radiant. And I've been smiling ever since. You, you guys saw the pictures last night, yesterday from our marriage night, our Sadie Hawkins. You know, I, I, I was a homeschool kid. You guys heard the Tim Hawkins joke with the homeschool kids all in the line with the rope going into the mall. <laughs> my mom didn't do that, but I was homeschooled. I didn't get to go to Sadie Hawkins, so I, Estelle, we're taking pictures for our Sadie Hawkins picture on Friday night, and if you didn't get, get to the marriage nights, go to the next one. It's really good. And so I'm standing like this. She's in front of me. Apparently, this is what you do at Sadie Hawkins, and she says, put your arms right here. I'm like, in front of everybody? <laughs> I was like, my daughter's never going to Sadie Hawkins dance. <laughs> But if you saw the picture, I couldn't, the smile on my face was so big because she still has my heart. Amen? It's pursuit. Don't quit seeking. Don't quit pursuing. You know, there's nothing in our world today, nothing outside of God's word in our world today that will encourage you to seek the Lord. Everything else outside of God and his word and his church and his people are going to try to pull you in a million different directions to distract you from pursuing God with all you are, much less the circumstances you're facing. The difficulties you walk through will try to be used by the enemy to put your spiritual life in neutral. Relationships that are not good for you, aren't godly, will will cause you to put your relationship with God in neutral. In fact, maybe even in reverse. And we have to make a decision that we won't allow the circumstances of our life to suck out our passion and zeal for the Lord. We won't allow the world and their lies to suck out the passion in our heart for the Lord. May we not be lulled to sleep. May our pursuit of the Lord not be hindered because of worldly distractions. I have just three questions I want to ask us before we transition here. Here's some probing questions. I want you to think for a moment with me. Have I become so distracted by earthly pursuits that I'm not seeking the Lord like I used to? I'm speaking to believers here. 
Have I become so distracted by earthly pursuits that I'm not seeking the Lord like I used to? Think about that for a moment. Here's another question. Have I become more in love with what I understand about God than actually loving him? You know that's possible, right? Have I become more in love with what I know about God than actually loving him? It is possible to pursue knowledge about God and not love him. How do we know that? Go look at the Gospels. We've been studying the Gospels for a year and a half in John. Who comes to your mind when you think about knowledge of God but no love? The Pharisees. It's possible to to pursue knowledge of God, but, but you have no heart for God. Here's another question. Have I allowed my circumstances to influence my pursuit of the Lord? Have I allowed my circumstances, the challenging circumstances I'm walking through, to influence my pursuit of the Lord? Have I gotten into neutral? Because the truth is, is standing idle is just like falling back. Being in neutral is just like falling back. If we're not moving forward, we're falling back. So the psalmist David here, we see these first two admonitions. He's saying, I'm seeking the Lord. I'm looking to him. I'm crying out to him. Active pursuit. I will praise him at all times. I will make my soul, will make boast of him. I will boast in him. I will seek. I will pursue. I will cry out in the middle of my cave, in the middle of my circumstance, in the middle of my pain. No matter what's going on, the distressed and the bitter magnify the Lord together. The fearful and the poor seek the Lord continually. And lastly, here's the promise. Here's the promise. The distressed, the bitter, the fearful, and the poor will lack no good thing. Look at the text, verse 34, chapter 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Isn't that such a good verse? You like to taste things, don't you? We're going to eat a pork roast after here with my mom and my wife. I made a chocolate cake last night that I forgot at the house. You like to taste things. What's your favorite food? You like to taste, right? What does the psalmist say? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Sometimes we taste food and we see, is it good? Right? We, we get this language, don't we? Uh, this is an inter- this interesting thing to say here. It, it, the psalmist is saying, hey, hey, try them out. Taste and see. The Lord is good. In, 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 essence, in essence, the psalmist is saying, see for yourself. See for yourself, discover by experience, savor, taste, savor and enjoy, discover by experience, see for yourself. The psalmist is saying, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, know, there may be people in your life that might ask you this. They, They might ask you, looking at your life in the cave, they may say, is it worth it to serve the Lord? Is it worth it? Why, 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 why do you go to church? Why are you still seeking and pursuing and calling and crying out to him? But you know what I would say? I would say this, that if I could give the mic to you, and to you, and to you, and to you, and we pass it around, we have a testimonial service, we'd be here a lot past 11.30. Because I know that what you would begin to testify is, the good, is of the goodness of God, that you have tasted and you have seen that God is good no matter what the circumstances have been in your life, and you can attest to his promise 
to his promises, that he's a faithful God, that he's a good God. And you could say to the person who would look at you, why do you, why do you still serve the Lord? You could say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. My circumstances might not be good, but God is always good. Look, look back to the text now. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Look at verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack no lack, lack, have no lack. Did the young lions suffer want and hunger? There's going to be some suffering and some want and some hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The psalmist David reminds us that the righteous will suffer afflictions. The young lions suffer want and hunger. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. What did Jesus tell us? He says, he says, he says in this life, you will have trials. But be of good cheer. I've overcome. I've overcome all. This is, in essence, what the psalmist David is saying. That the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The psalmist David reminds us that the righteous will suffer many things, but the psalmist David also reminds us that the Lord is good. Taste and see. He reminds us that God is our refuge in the middle of the storm. He reminds us that if we will seek the Lord, we will not lack any good thing. Seeking God will not prevent pain in our lives, but seeking God will, however, change our perspective about our pain. I think we need to think about for a moment the good things. And the psalmist David says there, he says, he says, the young lions will suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. What are the good things that we will not lack? You know, I think often you've heard the phrase, the good life. Have you heard that phrase? This is the good life. I think what, your definition of the good life might be different than my definition, definition of the good life. I'm certain of that. <laughs> Here's my definition of the good life. You want to know what it is? Who said golf? <laughs> Somebody. I've, I've, I've been the pastor here long enough to know you guys know me, right? There's no, I don't have, I'm, I'm running out of stories and illustrations here is what the problem is. But my definition of the good life is Augusta National at the Masters Golf Tournament with my son, Joel, and maybe if Lincoln gets older and appreciates golf, drinking that sweet tea, watching Jordan Spieth put on another green jacket. That's the good life, right? I can think of other things, the good life, right? Today is going to be the good life. I'm going to be with my wife and my family and my kids. And to go, but we, when we think of the good life, we think of money and possessions and experiences, don't we? That's a t typically what we do. And this idea of the good life, we will lack no good thing. The good things we will not lack. I think David's not talking about the Masters Golf Tournament here. He's not talking about sweet tea and money. I think he's talking about something different. The good things we will not lack have nothing to do with what is happening on the outside of our life. It has everything to do with what is happening on the inside of our heart. The peace, the joy, not the temporary happiness, but the, the, the joy, the relationship with Christ. The young lions may suffer lack and hunger. They may be hiding in a cave and running for their life, but those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. The world all around us could be going to hell in a handbasket. I could have just gotten laid off from my job. I could have just gotten diagnosed with cancer. You fill in the blank with whatever you're walking through, but I will lack no good thing because my God is with me, because his peace surpasses all understanding. 
And I can say, as the psalmist David said, and you can say, as the psalmist David says here, I may lack and I may suffer and I may be in hunger, but I will lack no good thing because I will continue to seek the Lord. I will praise him at all times. And I will make my boast in him. It's a peace in the middle of the storm. It's joy in the middle of sorrow. Truth is, is David got a hold of something in that cave, didn't he? He got a hold of something in that cave. That's my prayer for you this morning. You get a hold of something. If you're currently in a cave of distress, I want you to get a hold of something. And he got a hold of something because what did he do? He opened his mouth. And he praised his God. He set his heart to pursue the Lord. And then he reminded himself that his God is a keeper of his promises. Amen. Who's ever heard of Joni Erickson Tata? There's a ministry called Joni and Friends. I think there might be a picture up there on the screen of Joni. This is her speaking, at, I believe, at Liberty University maybe, but it's a large crowd there. It, on July 30th, 1967, when she was 17 years old, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay. And she misjudged the shallowness of the water, didn't realize it was that shallow. And she fractured, she had a fracture between her fourth and fifth cervical vertebrae. She became a quadra, quadra, quadriplegic, paralyzed from her shoulders down. If you know anything about Joni, you know that for the last 50 years, she's still alive today, but for the last 50 years, she spent her life doing that. This is what she's done. From her young age all the way to now, getting in close to, I think, her 70s now, she goes and she testifies of the goodness of God in the midst of suffering. She has a ministry for those that are, are, are disabled, and, and she, she, has, she has taken a circumstance that, that, that would have looked like it would have derailed her entire life, but, but she has a perspective about the goodness of God in the middle of her cave. And if you ever read her story, you know she went through a very dark time of questioning and wondering, and, but she spent 50 years magnifying her God and calling on others to magnify God with her. I just love her story. I would encourage you to look her up, Joni. J-O-N-I, Joni Erickson Tada, T-A-D-A. You can find many resources about her. I want you to hear her perspective this morning as we, we just, as the backdrop, as a conclusion of what we've seen in Psalm 34. Listen to her, Joni Erickson. Real satisfaction, she says, comes not in understanding God's motives, but in understanding his character, in trusting in his promises, and in leaning on him and resting in him as the sovereign who knows what he is doing and who does all things well. My wheelchair was the key to seeing all of that, especially since God's power always shows up best in weakness. So here I sit, she says, glad that I have not been healed on the outside, but glad that I have been healed on the inside, healed from my own self-centered wants and wishes. Wow. I see David in the cave right there. I, 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 I know Joni Erickson Tata had days where she wanted to not magnify the Lord, and she, wasn't, she couldn't have the courage to say, I'm glad I have not been healed on the outside. It takes courage to say that. It takes a different perspective. 
But I think that's what we see in David, don't we? In the middle of whatever I'm walking through, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Amen? So so, so here's what we're going to walk away with. Here's here's our take home right here. I'm just going to tell you my message all over again. So, So here's what we take home. We must bless the Lord at all times, my brothers and sisters. At all times. We must boast in the Lord alone. And we must seek the Lord continually in every circumstance and trial. And if we will take that posture of pursuit and of seeking the Lord and praising God in spite of our circumstances, here's the promises. And we will taste and see that the Lord is good. And we will lack no good thing. Amen.